Welcome back to Chats at Charlie's, where four future educators discuss what we're learning about education inside and outside of the classroom. This week, we dig into racial dynamics in the classroom. Whether it's the disparities in referrals, detentions, and expulsions, or the ways in which the myth of the model minority show up in our classroom, we are here to dig in on what we're seeing and what we hope and how we hope to combat this in our own classroom spaces. We start this week with John reading us a story of a student meeting with his school psychologist, his parent, and one of his teachers. Here's how that interaction goes. Be respectful. Sitting with his mom on one side and the school psychologist on the other, Gabriel stares at his grades in front of him while his history teacher, Mr. Greyer, continues to explain things. You're so well-spoken, Gabriel, Mr. Greyer said. You have tremendous potential. You're a leader among your peers, but you need to check your attitude at the door. You need to be more attentive in the classroom and less concerned with being the big man on campus. We're all equal in here, and that means I have the same expectations for your behavior as I have for everyone else, and you're not living up to our standards. That's why you're in here today. You act out a lot, and it's getting you in more and more trouble. Concerned that Gabriel's perspective wasn't being heard, Gabriel's mother encourages him to explain himself. Tell Mr. Greyer what you were telling me this morning. Sitting up in his chair, but still staring at the paper, Gabriel says, You say we're all equal, but that isn't what it looks like. His mother prods him to continue. Go on. I mean, Gabriel starts, it doesn't matter, whatever. Sensing hesitation, Mr. Peterson, the school psychologist, intervenes. Gabriel, this is an opportunity for you to say what you think and for us to work on meeting your needs. How do you see the situation? Gabriel turns to face Mr. Peterson and unloads. Mr. Greyer thinks he's being fair, but me and my friends are the only ones that ever get singled out in his class. We're not giving attitude, we're just being ourselves. This is how we act. Mr. Peterson asks, what do you mean? Gabriel answers, you know, like, we don't have any problems in Mrs. Garcia's class, and I have an A in physics, but in Mr. Greyer's class, we always get docked on our participation grade because of not raising hands and group work and stuff. And we're always split up whenever we're in groups, so we end up talking to each other. Then we get yelled at, and that's when things get stupid. Turning to look at Mr. Greyer, Gabriel adds, you act like it's just us with bad attitudes, but you don't even know the things people say to me in those groups. You don't hear any of that. This place is crazy. And then I get in trouble for acting out, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Just as Mr. Greyer is about to speak, Gabriel's mom tries to lighten the mood by explaining with a smile, we raise Gabriel to be strong and critical and also respectful. So I guess this is what you get. Can you say more about that? Asks Mr. Peterson. Well, we are active in our community, she says, and we have always pushed Gabriel to be a self-advocate and to be proud of his heritage. Maybe that has something to do with how he's acting. I'll talk with him about this when we get home. Mr. Greyer takes the opportunity to try to provide some closure and replies. I'm sorry if things have been difficult in group work, Gabriel, but again, it might be your attitude. You will get respect if you give respect, and I'm guessing many of your peers feel you don't respect them. Visibly frustrated by the suggestion, Gabriel turns to his mother and says, See? See what I'm talking about? Nobody gets it. Forget it. 
As Gabriel rises out of his seat and walks toward the door, his mother thanks Mr. Peterson and Mr. Greyer for their time and ensures them she will talk with Gabriel more at home. After John finished telling the story, we all shared our reactions. We reflected on how the teacher may may have handled this differently, shared how we may have handled the situation, and reflected how race showed up in the story. Big yikes. <laughs> yeah. I feel the the line um basically you give respect if you give respect is never a good indication. It, from the subtext of the vignette, that line reads to me like it really should be directed at the other students in the class. Right, like Mr. Greyer is accusing Gabriel of not respecting his peers, but it seems like what he is responding to is the disrespect of his peers. Um, so, so Mr. Greyer has has reversed the sort of locus of concern mm -hmm. for the mm -hmm. situation. It's just the student obviously knows the problem mm -hmm. like on this is 221 for me i don't have any problems in mrs garcia's class mm -hmm. i have an a in physics but in this class i'm docked for participation for these things like mm -hmm. this is where the issue is and the adults in the room even i feel like even the mother in some ways are just like not actually hearing that diagnosis taking place um, mm -hmm. um or, which is interesting earlier in the chapter or in the chapter before the vignette it talks about how the vast majority of referrals disciplinary referrals for minority students is a very vague defiance of adult authority um, or some you know version of that yeah and it's uh, like in classroom settings it's almost pathologized like I've heard very casually teachers mention multiple times like oh this child has what is it uh, oppositional defiance is oppositional defiance yeah yeah it's like it's actually like coined a phrase like yeah. is it od something I think or it's other like oppositional defiant disorder but it called. is yeah just literally pathologizing like being in opposition in some vague way because it could mean a number of things mm -hmm. um yeah, and like you said, he's in this scenario. He has identified a problem. He's trying to communicate that problem and just get anyone to listen to him. And that in itself is oppositional because it's not like he wants to solve the problem, but it's not solving the problem in the way that they want to solve the problem, which is just like him shutting up and listening to them. I think it's also putting a lot of labor on, I'm, I'm thinking about the role that parents have yeah. just as we like start student teaching. Cause a lot, I, my first day was uh, open house and there was almost every student actually came in with a parent. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, you know, one of the few times parents are actually physically in the space. Mm -hmm. 
And just like, this is so much work for this parent to come in and try to be the translator and then to say, oh, I'll talk more at home and a conflict that does not originate with their parenting originates in the school setting, but has to be solved via their, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's just a lot of work. Yes. Because what do you do if you're the parent? If everyone's like label your child as being defiant, and you take your child's side, you, you are just becoming defiant. Like they're not necessarily gonna be like, oh, maybe she's got a point. It's simply gonna be like, yeah, you're also not falling in line with what they want. Like a bad parent that's enabling this bad behavior. Yep. And then bring like race into the mix. Absolutely. Next, I shared an experience I had in my first week of student teaching. I learned about a dynamic at the school that I'm at and shared it with the group. We then discussed the implications of that. Two black teachers left last year because of a email chain that was basically one of the other teachers saying we need to pray for Derek Chauvin and yeah yeah oh whole thing lots here but then so that sparked us really digging into what is the climate here and I was like well how many white teachers are there and Sarah was like vast majority is white I was like well what are the demographics of the school and she's like it's 50% black Mm -hmm. in and what's happening in the background is the district is redistricting boundaries. Yep. And so a good yep. chunk of the North side comes to Edison, yep. but those parents want their kids to go to North High and... Is North High whiter? No. I'm just no, North High I think is a majority okay, black I did, school I, with educators. Yeah, it's in the North yeah. side, it's a community school, um, really strong athletic program, North High Polar, really I think our state too. champion. And it's really small. Yeah, yeah it's a very tight knit small school. Um, gearing up for what I anticipate to be a pretty tense school environment yeah. with this history and with the fact the majority of the teachers are white and and there's also like I think it's becoming more like affluent white families are sending their kids to Edison too mm. um, so that they used to like Edison used to be seen as like a place that they wouldn't want to send their kids so they would send them to like south or southwest um but the it's super super like segregated in terms of like ability grouping Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it's like yes there are more affluent kids there but they're almost always in like the ap classes Mm -hmm. so yeah One thing all of us have been thinking about is how do we teach curriculum we're proud of? Here are a couple of reflections that Charlie and Kelly had about that. Trying to strike the balance of, because I, in my, at Justice page, it seems like a lot of the curriculum was either 
A, handed to them, or B, like, developed a while ago, and it's just, like, gotten little fixes throughout time, and it's staying today. I was talking with Joel, I was like, damn, like, it's gonna be really hard for me to go to a school and, like, not just, like, want to change everything, <laughs> because it's not the content that I would teach, you know? Like, when mm-hmm. they cover the 1800s, and they're talking about Jacksonian America... Like, I'm not going to want to talk about that. I'm going to want to talk about, like, Indian removal programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, and how do I not waste copious amounts of energy? Because I think that is meaningful to students. I know there's a balance in there somewhere, but we've talked about it in our program, like, getting to know your students is the most important thing. But for me, I also think, and, like, my cooperating teacher said the same, that the content is a lot more important than we yeah. think it is. Yeah. Um, because it's what sustains the class and fills all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we don't love it and believe in it and it appeals to the students and like challenges norms, then also like no one's gonna give a shit about the yeah. class. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Another thing that I'm kind of thinking about is so Avalon is very project based. So, like, it's great because kids get to choose, like, really any subject they want to learn about, and they get to do a full, like, quarter-long independent project on that, which I think is great, but I could also see the curriculum being more, like, fixed and, like, not a lot of, like, changes being made and not super critical, and then when kids push back, it's like, oh, great, do your independent project on that. You know, oh, like rather yeah, than yeah, yeah. you know, like incorporating that into the full class. Mm. Um, I, I don't know if that's gonna play out, but that's kind of just something that I'm thinking about, and yeah, that's interesting. I think that yeah. reinforces a lot of the like dual expectations um, of students. This is very similar to me, like students who are in an AP curriculum and then like not. It's like, well, I know that this isn't correct, but I know it's the right answer on that test. Like it's training students to have. What they end up having to do as workers, which is like, I show up with these norms and rules that I know how to operate in, but I know that these are another set of norms and rules, and like, totally, I get to like, you know, I don't know, I'm not explaining this very well, but that's that reminds me of that dynamic, and I see that happening. Yeah, it's like this is not a space where I can like question or you know think critically. This is a space where I regurgitate answers, and then there's another space that I can do that. Yeah. So one thing we've been doing, um, my co-teacher and I, is setting up a, um, a classroom management plan. Mm. And her, her <laughs> approach, which is really great. I'm kidding. I'm happy, happy to share it. Happy to share it. Um, hey, Mr. Warner. <laughs> her approach is, um, I think, really nice, which is to like dig deep into the details of classroom expectations. Uh-huh. Like, what do you, what are students going to do when they come into the classroom? What yeah. are they going to do on the way out of the classroom? What does group work look like? And, and planning all of those things ahead of time so that you can communicate clearly yeah. to the students like what it actually looks like, feels like, um, to uh, do these different parts of classroom activities mm-hmm. so that classroom management isn't like, 
you're behaving the way I don't want you to, let me try to shut that down, but rather, hey, welcome to the class, let's talk about how we're gonna interact yeah. together over Correct. the course of the Super smart. Wow. So I think we'll great. really limit a lot of this like subjective bias exactly. in how you're yes. viewing people's attitudes exactly. and behaviors. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, I have found that process so helpful um, and I imagine that it will go really well with the students just like having communicated about that at the beginning. And the other thing is that we will be sort of discussing and interpreting more sort of value-driven elements of that. So the, um, the school has a pride framework, um, which is like purpose, respect. respect, some other things, yeah. Um, but that isn't necessarily spelled out in detail that we'll be discussing with the students. Mm. So like, what, do, what does it mean to have purpose in the classroom, mm. right? And so there's, there's an element of like teacher setting expectation, but also an element of classroom community talking about what it means to be in the space together and to follow this sort of value structure that the school shares. Um, and I, I found both of those things um, promising as a way to like, yeah, take that subjectivity out of discipline and, and try to um, create a cooperative space. Like a social contract that yeah. all the kids are like agreeing yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. It's very consensual at the beginning. But I also really appreciated that it's not just a free-for-all contract building process at the beginning of the term. That actually it is takes the, the school's values. <laughs> yeah. So the values are the same in every class, but then the students have the opportunity to creatively engage with those values and determine what they actually mean for their classroom space. So there's that element of sort of student engagement and choice and also an element of taking this sort of community contract, this already existing set of values um, and using those as the kind of framework. So you as a teacher don't have to memorize whatever, five, six, seven different sets of rules. Um, yeah, that was yeah. something that I have been thinking about is just like how does that look yeah. in when you have, yeah, seven classes with all different yeah. expectations. Yeah. Yeah. So my co-teacher has done that. She did that early in her career and decided that it was more sensible to use the school's values and then interpret them with the students, which I thought That's was great. pretty compelling. That's super smart. Also for ninth grade, like you're norming in a civics things. Class. Yeah, That's really like, smart in a civics class. Very early on in there. Like the first thing they're learning about high school is like setting those rules and expectations mm -hmm. in their class. Mm -hmm. And I think it can sometimes be very cheesy, like, well, what are our values? What are the school's values? But that seems like an actual application of them that would be useful. Yeah, and it's like unpacking, like, okay, what does respect actually mean? Because I think that that is, like, getting at that vignette, too, is like, and I think the chapter has talked about that before, like, kids aren't going to show respect when they don't feel like they're getting respect back from yeah. adults. Right. So, like, what does this look like? from both the teacher and the students. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it kind of, respect really becomes a bad word. Yeah. And I think in the vignette mm -hmm. that shows, because respect really just means obedience. Mm -hmm. And right. I think within schools, it's kind of assumed that's what we mean. It's like, respect your teachers and they'll respect you. It's and like, I think it's like a pretty racially coded. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. like, be obedient to your teachers and the respect mm -hmm. they give you is not sending you to the principal's office. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's also like, also devoid of any like love, care, or compassion mm -hmm. at all. I mm -hmm. that's why I respect in that concept. It really just sucks. Mm -hmm. It's like I don't give 
I don't care about you at all. Mm-hmm. I just want you to not talk while I'm talking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, won't punish you punitively in response. Yeah, I think something that came up in this vignette and just I'm thinking about as we're talking about this is like, I think it's really easy to head off um, I don't want to use the word disruptive, but I'm going to use it. Like, disruptive behavior by, like, giving kids who just aren't at their 100% capacity and out. Like, I think it's really easy to be like, all right, like, how are folks feeling today? Fist to five. And be like, cool, if you're a two or under, you can take a back seat today. Like, and just instead of trying to um, ask young people who I think are still figuring out, like, social and emotional intelligence to, like, meet you where they're at, just, like, lower not lowering expectations but like matching expectations to where they're at i think well because you have a high expectation in there and that's yeah transparency vulnerability and honesty yeah that is yeah that's a really good point that is a high expectation but as we continued our discussion we realized how much structure is required to be thoughtful about equity and racial dynamics in the classroom John shared a couple of things that his cooperating teacher does to prepare for when those um, rifts occur. Well, so one thing we've been doing, um, my co-teacher and I, is setting up a um, a classroom management plan. Mm. Wow. And her, her <laughs> approach, which is really great. I'm happy, happy to share it. Happy to share it. Hey, Mr. Warner. <laughs> her approach is, um, I think, really nice, which is to like dig deep into the details of classroom expectations. Uh-huh. Like, what do you, what are students going to do when they come into the classroom? What yeah. are they going to do on the way out of the classroom? What does group work look like? And and planning all of those things ahead of time so that you can communicate clearly yeah. to the students like what it actually looks like, feels like, um, to uh, do these different parts of classroom activities mm-hmm. so that classroom management isn't like, you're behaving a way I don't want you to, let me try to shut that down, but rather, hey, Welcome to the class. Let's talk about how we're going to interact yeah. together over the course of the Super smart. Wow. So I think we'll really limit a lot of this like subjective bias exactly. in how you're yes. viewing people's attitudes exactly. and behaviors. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, I have found that process so helpful. Um, and I imagine that it will go really well with the students just like having communicated about that at the beginning. And the other thing is that we will be sort of discussing and interpreting more sort of value-driven elements of that. So the, um, the school has a pride framework, um, which is like purpose, respect. respect, some other things, yeah. Um, but that isn't necessarily spelled out in detail that we'll be discussing with the students. Mm-hmm. So like, what, do, what does it mean to have purpose in the classroom, mm-hmm. right? And so there's, there's an element of like teacher setting expectation, but also an element of classroom community talking about what it means to be in the space together and to follow this sort of value structure that the school shares. Um, and I, I found both of those things um, promising as a way to like, yeah, take that subjectivity out of discipline and, and try to um, 
create a cooperative space. Like a social contract that yeah. all the kids are like agreeing yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. It's very consensual to the game. But I also really appreciated that it's not just a free-for-all contract building process at the beginning of the term. That actually it is takes the, the school's values. <laughs> yeah. So the values are the same in every class, but then the students have the opportunity to creatively engage with those values and determine what they actually mean for their classroom space. So there's that element of sort of student engagement and choice and also an element of taking the sort of community contract, this already existing set of values um, and using those as the kind of framework. So you as a teacher don't have to memorize whatever, five, six, seven different sets of rules. Um, yeah, that was yeah. something that I have been thinking about is just like how does that look yeah. in when you have yeah seven classes with all different yeah. class expectations yeah. yeah so my co-teacher has done that she did that early in her career and decided that it was more sensible to use the school's values and then interpret them with the students which i thought that's was great. pretty compelling that's super smart also for ninth grade like you're norming in a civics things. class yeah that's really like, smart in a civics class. very early on in there like the first thing they're learning about high school is like setting those rules and expectations in mm -hmm. their class mm -hmm. And I think it can sometimes be very cheesy, like, well, what are our values? What are the school's values? But that seems like an actual application of them that would be useful. Yeah, and it's like unpacking, like, okay, what does respect actually mean? Because I think that that is, like, getting at that vignette, too, is like, and I think the chapter has talked about that before, like, kids aren't going to show respect when they don't feel like they're getting respect back from yeah. adults. Right. So, like, what does this look like? from both the teacher and the students. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it kind of, respect really becomes a bad word. Yeah. And I think in the vignette mm -hmm. that shows, because respect really just means obedience. Mm -hmm. And right. I think within schools, it's kind of assumed that's what we mean. It's like, respect your teachers and they'll respect you. It's and like, I think it's like a pretty racially coded. Yeah. Too. Yeah, it's yeah. like, be obedient to your teachers and the respect they give you is not sending you to the principal's office. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's also like, also devoid of any like love, care, or compassion mm -hmm. at all. I that's why I respect in that concept really just sucks. Mm -hmm. It's like I don't give, a, I don't care about you at all. Mm -hmm. I just want you to not talk while I'm talking, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I, I won't punish you punitively. Response. Yeah, I think something that came up in this vignette and just and thinking about as we're talking about this is like I think it's really easy to head off. Um, I don't want to use the word disruptive, but I'm going to use it. Like, disruptive behavior by, like, giving kids who just aren't at their 100% capacity and out. Like, I think it's really easy to be like, all right, like, how are folks feeling today? Fist to five. And be like, cool, if you're a two or under, you can take a back seat today. Like, yeah. and just instead of trying to um, ask young people who I think are still figuring out, like, so social and emotional intelligence to, like meet you where they're at just like lower not lowering expectations but like matching expectations mm -hmm. to where they're at i think well because you have a high expectation in there and that's yeah. transparency vulnerability and honesty yeah that is yeah that's yeah. a really good point that is a high expectation but one thing i've been thinking about is obviously this dynamic of like oppositional culture like voluntary versus involuntary minorities is not useful and seems very narrow-minded. I do think the list of, of um, cultures and minorities that are presented as involuntary, what I took away from it is not this like involuntary, voluntary binary, but rather 
there should be a lot of care taken in thinking about how colonized people and enslaved people like interact in our curriculum, like we talk about them in our curriculum, you know, like. Yeah, and I think just like with the like involuntary versus voluntary, like even that, like there's a lot of complexity there. Like mm -hmm. it, it doesn't, it isn't necessarily one or the other. Like there can be a lot of like, you know, there's a reason why somebody may have left and it may not have been like completely voluntary. You know, I don't know. It's just a, it's such a like black and white distinction mm -hmm. for like really complex, like human experiences. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. We spent a little bit of time revisiting the vignette and thinking about the story of Gabriel and his teacher. Here's what Kelly had to say. One other thing that I think kind of ties in the vignette that we read, like it's not made explicit, but it seems like what's happening is Gabriel is a student of color and he is being placed in groups with white students that mm -hmm. are like saying microaggressions and yep. probably being racist. Um, and the first suggestion from the Naguera chapter was to place students yeah, with that's a really group good work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm just um, thinking about that more and just thinking about like I mean, obviously, like, there needs to be expectations before that, like, before you're mixing students in groups, like, how do we kind of, like, what your teacher, it seems like, does, like, how do we show respect, how do we do these things, but then also, like, yeah, that can be really, like, potentially traumatizing for what do you students of color. think the solution is, then, if, like, that's just, do you think it's somewhere in the middle, do you think... Does anybody have an opinion on that? I don't know. So, I don't know how y'all's teachers are doing it. We have a seating chart. Um, We're gonna have one. We're gonna have one. And I think a lot of that is based on um, IEPs and 504s, like mm -hmm. making sure that students who have preferential seating are getting placed towards the front of the class, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I imagine that then, you start the year and you pay attention to how those groups and seating arrangements are working out and have to be prepared to like make adjustments. So a reasonable adjustment in response to this vignette seems like it would be to put Gabriel with, with other students yeah. who mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. aren't being racist assholes. <laughs> yeah. You know, you just like don't group the student with with other students who are mistreating him mm -hmm. feels like a pretty reasonable adjustment yeah. to make. Cause it seems like this teacher's next move would probably I'm just guessing we don't they're not even real. <laughs> I feel like they would probably like confront the students. You know? Mm -hmm. Like they try to integrate Gabriel into that group and it's like we you don't have to like pick it. 
this fight. Like, there's an obvious solution here, and that is like yeah, move exactly. Gabriel to a different group of students. Mm -hmm. We'll wrap up our conversation with some parting thoughts from me and some parting thoughts from Charlie. about this a little bit um, but I'm just struck by how much of the interpersonal dynamics and the ability to name things like race and class requires students having had the space to achieve that self-awareness and like they show up in your classroom with like years and years of education that you had no hand in and that I think that is the hardest and scariest thing for me is like to meaningfully talk about race as a set of policies that inform attitudes, not mm -hmm. the other way around, is like stuff like work we're all still doing, mm -hmm. you yeah. know? And so how do you... Yeah, absolutely. We talked about this summer, kind of sticking your neck out there and saying like these are the things we're going to talk about explicitly because this is how we mm -hmm. have the important conversations and I don't know exactly what that looks like yet mm -hmm. um, because we haven't been in the classroom but I feel like the reason your interactions with your cooperating teacher John st stood out to me is like it seems like from the beginning you're setting yourselves up to have those conversations like yeah. everything in your expectations is built around getting to a point where the students can interact with that content, be critical about it, and reflective. Yeah. And I haven't gotten the indication necessarily that that is the mission statement of what I'm going through right now. That doesn't mean it's not gonna happen. Mm -hmm. I just feel like yours is facilitating it. podcast was brought to you by busy organic cold brew unsweetened 18 hour brew organic light roast